So we are getting towards the end of our study of 1 Timothy. And tonight we're going to be talking about the topic of contentment. The topic of contentment. So 1 Timothy chapter 6. And if you have your journals, the topic is uh, the pursuit of contentment. The pursuit of contentment. To be content means to be satisfied. It means to be at peace. And all of us, every one of you, and myself included, we have been created by God to be content, to be satisfied. No one needs to teach you uh, to desire contentment. No no one needs to teach you uh, to be satisfied. At the youngest of ages, we might not be able to put it into words, but we know and we desire, uh, that we, we know that desire to be satisfied, and we know when we're not. And so Catherine, our, our youngest, is 19 months now. She knows that she desires contentment, and she will tell you when she's not. And she's learning, how do you do that? You know, it's so, it's, it's so cute. Please, please, she can do the sign language for please, and please, please, what she's saying is, is there's something I want and I need it. And it's, it's humorous things right now. Um, like juice or Cheerios or whatever it is, but it can also be, and obviously is, much greater things as well. So not only were we created to find contentment uh, and desire satisfaction, we were created by God to find that contentment in God Himself. God is the one we were wired to find our contentment in. God is the one that we were wired to find our satisfaction in. And Adam and Eve enjoyed that contentment perfectly in the garden. Adam and Eve knew what it was like to be in perfect relationship with God. They, they knew what it was like to experience no want. I don't know what it felt like, but, but they did. They, they just had a perfect relationship with God in the garden and it was good, and it was only when the devil tempted them to, to wrongly believe that they were missing out. They, they had the contentment, and the devil said, no, 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 you don't. You don't. You're missing out. You, you eat from that tree of good and evil, and you're going to experience life like you've never imagined it before. And sadly, when Adam believed that lie and ate the fruit that was forbid, forbidden, that contentment between them and God, was destroyed. When Adam, in that event, sinned against God, the relationship between God and man was wrecked. And we as humans lost the joy and satisfaction that was ours perfectly in God. And after the fall, which is where we're living now, as you know, people still have the desire to be content. Unbelievers want to be content. You and I come in here tonight wanting to be content. So after the fall, the desire is still there. The problem, however, in our sin is that we look to find our contentment. We look, look to find our satisfaction in a thousand things other than God. I don't have to tell you teens that being a teen is hard. Technology might change. Fashion might change. Fashion sometimes comes back around. What is consistent is that being a teen is hard. 
And part of the reason being a teen is hard revolves around this topic. Everything I've said so far, you know. You know that desire to be content, to be satisfied. And my guess is you also know when you're not. I think, I think so much of being a teen, so much of it being hard is that there's this desire for peace and I know I don't have it. And so there's this working through why do I feel this way and where do I go for help? Where do I go for this contentment that I lack? And as you seek to find that contentment in different things, as you, you pursue them, you know there might be an initial degree of satisfaction. But it never lasts. And if it's sinful, that initial joy is accompanied with regret and conviction. Even as unbelievers. Unbelievers know right and wrong. The law is written on our hearts. We might try to suppress it. We might try to, 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 to sin so much that we don't feel it like we used to, but it's there. That, that, that dirty feeling of knowing that what you did was wrong. I vividly remember being 13, 14, 15. I've shared this with some of you. I have friends my age who cannot remember being a teenager. I mean, vividly. They can't remember the details. I mean, they remember it. They were, you know, they remember certain places and certain events and certain things. I just, I remember the angst, at least for my own soul. And maybe God's done that because He knows the role that I would have with you all. But, but I remember even being in certain parts of my house, just feeling the war within my soul. Feeling that discontentment. Feeling that something is wrong. It might not have been obvious to people outwardly, but inwardly, I just felt so lost. And I think what was most hopeless, and and maybe you've come in here with this part tonight, I think what was most hopeless, um, or, or what caused the most fear or sadness for me, is that I didn't even know where to find it. I grew up in the church, heard a lot about Jesus, didn't think of him as a solution to that problem. And so I would go, as many of you know, I went towards sports. And I could find contentment in success in sports or in popularity. So a constant drive to, to be Higher or higher and higher on the kind of the, the popularity chain. To, to find my satisfaction in what girls thought of me. To find contentment in the grades that I had. And yet none of that ultimately brought the contentment that I was created for. And as your parents know, discontentment is not a teen problem. I wish I could say to you, hey, just become an adult and it all goes away. It's not true. Contentment is a human problem, not a teen problem. People of all ages and all walks of life desire contentment, don't have it, and live their lives trying to find it. So tonight we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, and Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, puts the topic of contentment in front of us, and he warns us. He's not going to talk about all the places that we can find discontentment or or all the places we can find to be satisfied. He's not going to talk, talk about all of them. He's going to talk about one of the major ones that people go to. 
He's going to warn us of one of the wrong places many unbelievers and even some professing Christians seek to find their contentment. And it's going to be in the love of money and possessions. It's going to be in the, in the area of loving money more than God. Loving stuff more than God. And I pray that as we listen to the warning, that we would take it seriously. We also can be hopeful this evening because in the same passage, Paul tells us about where we can have true contentment. Where we can have true satisfaction. So if you come in here tonight like I was when I was 13, 14, 15, in a war in your soul, take heart tonight and listen intently to God's Word. That there is a contentment that you can have that is real and deep and glorious. So let's read. We're going to read 1 Timothy verse uh, 3 to verse 11. This is the perfect Word of God. It says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these things we will be content. But those, and here's the warning, let it land on you guys, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. And we're going to stop there. And we'll look at the next part next month. Let's pray. Lord, Pray for anyone in this room that is struggling with contentment. Would you minister to their hearts tonight? Would you give them yourself? Would they know by your Spirit the riches of Christ? And Lord, I pray for all of us that we would heed the warning of where not to find our contentment. Help us to see Your warning as Your love to us. And where we need to adjust course, give us the grace to do just that, Lord. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So two points tonight. Point number one, the danger of a love for money and possessions. Point number one, the danger of a love for money and possessions. What Paul's talking about here is what we talked about last month with false teachers. So remember us talking about that, that that anyone who teaches anything contrary to the Word of God is a false teacher and should not be followed. And so he's talking a a little bit more about them. 
And he's saying what I just said, that, that if they teach a different doctrine, do not follow them. Do not listen to them. And it really gives you some very clear handles of, of what it looks like to be a false teacher. Look at verse 4. Puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. I've said to you guys, because many of you have just grown up in the Word, it's tempting just to read and not even hear what we're reading. Think about that. They are arrogant and know nothing. That is a sad phrase about someone. Can you imagine that if you were arrogant and you knew nothing? And yet that's what these false teachers are. They're, they're arrogant, know nothings. And, and I think they're just a real quick aside. Allow that to remind you, teenagers, please hear me on this. Confidence doesn't equate to truthfulness. These people were saying lies very confidently. They were puffed up. They were conceited. There was this, this sense of, of course you should listen to us. Of course you should follow us. And they knew nothing. So for some of you, you're going to go to college, and there will be professors who are sadly confident know-nothings. And I say that with, with sadness in my heart. I want God to save them all. But there will be people, college professors, who sound very smart. They, they will come across very confidently, and yet they are speaking lies. And what sadly what students do is they sit there and they say, well, he's saying it really confidently, so it must be true. And, and I'm, I don't want to make a false caricature. I don't want you to be fearful of college professors. I had many good ones. Kelly had many good ones. People in this room had many good ones. But there will be ones. And I don't mean religion professors, though... There are many that would fall in this category. But there's many professors that hate God. They're not followers of Christ. And they will go out of their way to want to deny Christ and deny His Word and deny the Christian worldview. And when they say it confidently, so many, so many teens, so many college students hear it coming confidently and think, well, it must be right. And so may for all of us, may we never say well, they're right because they say it really loudly. And I say it to myself. I can say something very passionately to you, but if it's not the Word of God, it's not true. It's a lie. And so you have these, these men, sadly, who are, are puffed up, and they understand nothing. And what he says, which connects us into our topic for tonight, he says in verse 5 um, that, that godliness for them is a means of gain. They're ultimately doing all of this to gain from people, to, to extract something from someone. And it's money, it's possessions, it's power. And I was saying to, to Josh Sarita, what's so amazing to me is that motive matters. So chapter 5, Paul's saying, it says just in verse 18, that pastors should be compensated for their work. It says there that for the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Uh, verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So he's saying to the church, hey, I want you to provide for your pastors. I want you to give to them that they might be able to care for their families and have food to eat. So he's not saying that giving money to pastors is wrong. It's what is the motive of the man? And so for me, if I'm up here right now, it's like, I don't really care about you. I don't really love any of you. I'm just doing this for my paycheck. I'm doing this so I can get something from you. Not that that's all that a false teacher is, but he's saying that's garbage. 
If a pastor is is doing anything for kind of his own good, that's so not like Christ. And yet, if he's doing it to serve and to love and to honor and to, to be a shepherd and under-shepherd of Christ, provide for that man. And so we see here that that their motive was off. Their motive was self and not others. And so that desire they have to want to gain the world is what Paul is coming against. And, and it's just, it's almost like in Paul's mind he realizes that's an opportunity to talk to the church about the danger of money and possessions. And you see there in verse 9, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. It doesn't say those who are rich. It says those who desire to be rich. Down in verse 10. It doesn't say those who have money. It says those who love money. Those who crave money. Those who crave possessions. The biblical word that we see in other places like Colossians 3.5 is to covet. That, that feeling of, I need money. I need stuff. Think about Gollum in Lord of the Rings. He's got that ring, right? Mine. Right? He's just holding on to that thing as tight as he can. When he's got the ring, it's all he can think about. I love my ring. I'm so glad it's mine. Anyone that comes at him, he's going to attack, right? And when someone else has it, he'll, he'll do whatever he can to destroy them to get it back. John Piper says to covet is to desire something so much that you lose your contentment in God. To covet something is to to want something so much that you lose your contentment in God. Remember what I said? We were created to find our joy in God. And coveting is anything that bumps God off the throne in your heart. What are those things? If you were honest with yourself, you love them more than God. You might not even have them. Just a desire for that thing. And they can often be good things. That then becomes a God thing and that's a bad thing. There's a lot of things in my life that it's good for me. It's good for me to love my children. It's good for me to love my wife. It's good for me to love you all. I can't love you more than God or something's wrong. And what is that for you? What are those things that you can be tempted to just want more than God? What are those things that, yeah, 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 God loves me, God loves me, but I need this. Yeah, that's great that God wants to be in my life, but but I, that's not as important as this, this thing. And if I don't get this, my life is over. Sometimes people will say that. Something will happen. My life is over. Is Christ no longer your Savior? Is Christ no longer your God? Did He remove His grace from you? Oh, no, no, it's this thing. 
then your life's not over. Because you've got Christ still. And so they desire, they desire money. This, this group of people, they, they crave money. They crave stuff. And God gives an amazing word here. I just, I'm, a, I'm a word person. I'm a visual, like a word picture person. I'm a visual learner. And he says, to love money, to love stuff, it's like a snare. It's like a bear trap. Just sitting there waiting for you to get it. To, to love money, to love possessions, it's like you're walking and there's that thing in the middle of the trap. And you're like, I, I just want that thing so bad. I, I can't, I can't hold myself back. I can't, I can't deny myself. I gotta have it. And you step in it and it just grabs you and doesn't let go. Have you ever seen a bear trap? It is a scary looking trap. It's got these, these teeth on it that you would never want to experience them getting your leg. That's the word that God gives for people that love money and possessions more than Him. Remember, words matter. God used that word, not another word, that word, because He wanted to grip you that we're not joking around here. There are people that will wander away from the faith because of their love for money and their love for stuff. God's not playing around. God's not like, hey, if you don't mind, try not to you know, go over there. It's, it's not the best. He's saying, you go over there. And it's like walking into a bear trap. And, and you're not going to easily get out. And we have to recognize, teens, that, that the, the culture you're growing up in it's more and more not affirming God's Word. And so you're going to live your life, and this isn't brand new, this has been a while, this has been around for quite a while now, but, but you're living in a world that says that's not true. You're living in a world that says the exact opposite. You're living in a world that says if you just had more money, if you just had more stuff, you will be content. You will be satisfied. I mean, this is, this is a fork in the road moment. Will God be my contentment or will stuff? Jesus says you can't have two masters. You're either living for the world, you're living for that kingdom, or you're living for God. And it's coming at us. It's coming at us in ads. It's coming in at us in conversations. It's coming out of my own heart. And I got an email like from Apple this week about how I needed an iWatch. I do need an iWatch. How did they know that? <laughs> you know, and I and I in the email, and not that iWatches or Apple watches are bad. They're they're not. It's my heart that's the problem. If you have an Apple Watch, I love you and I want to be your friend, right? But there was something in my heart of as it, it was describing what the Apple Watch was about. I was like, oh, my life would be so much better with that thing. You know, there's there's times, honestly, Madeline's here, she can attest, there's times where um, the kids go up for bed and me and Mrs. Ross want to veg and we want to watch a TV show and we can't find that Apple remote, right? It's like the whole world has collapsed upon me. I need that Apple remote because how am I going to watch my TV show without an Apple remote? And there's this sense of like, my night's ruined, my night's ruined because I can't find the Apple remote. We're waking kids up. Get down here. Please help us find this. I'll pay you money. What, what will it take to get this Apple remote back? Again, the Apple remote's not the problem. I'm the problem, right? That in that moment, like, okay, if I, if I don't get a veg tonight, that's not the end of the world. If I, or vegging looks different, that's not the end of the world. It's a snare. 
It's a snare to find your hope in money. It's a snare to find your satisfaction in stuff. It's not that money's bad. It's not that possessions are bad. That there are people that their their existence is trying to be as far away from the world as possible. They they try to have no possessions. They try to have no money. They they're kind of like monk type living, where they just try to live as simple as possible. And I'm not saying that's all bad, but the problem isn't the stuff. The problem is my heart. There are biographies on rich people who did great, great good for the gospel. God has given people money that they might use it for the advance of the gospel. There's a a woman named uh, the Countess Selena. And she mobilized her riches for the glory of God in ways that are awesome. wasn't wrong that she was rich. The reality is a poor person could sin far more in this area than a rich person. Because a rich person could have it and hold it with an open hand. Like, that's not my identity. That's not where my contentment is. God's given it to me, and I'm using it for Him. And there could be someone who has nothing and spends their whole time being Gollum and just saying, I need, I need, I need, I need. The problem is not the money. The problem is not the possessions. It's us loving it more than God. It's loving stuff more than God. Loving your work more than God. And like we read in verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Teens. This, this message applies to us as adults. It does. As adults, we need to think about, okay, what am I living for? How am I spending my time? How am I spending my money? But do you see how important it is for you at this point in your life? Do you see the decisions that you're going to make based on really believing this? I've said for years now that I know if I put a piece of paper in front of you guys and here's some questions that you'd be able to give me the right answer. Here's a moment of do you really believe it? Because here's the moment of as you guys in your teenage years are looking at the rest of your life, I mean, right now, I'm sure every one of you, and there's some with more clarity and some with less clarity, I'm sure you've all thought about what you want to do with your life. When you think about what you want to do with your life, where is this stuff at work? Either good or bad. Is there a, yeah, this, this church stuff is fine, going, you know, going Sunday morning, hanging out at youth group with my parents sometimes, you know, just doing different things with Christ community, it's fine. But you know, the minute I get my freedom, it's time to, Get to work with building my kingdom in this world. Or is it a sense to say right now, I am a disciple of Christ. And I go to college as a disciple of Christ. I go to that first job, that first full-time job as a disciple of Christ. I'm all in with Christ. He's my satisfaction. He's my contentment. Not stuff. You're thinking that stuff right now. I know you are, because those are the things I was thinking about. What, what am I going to do with this life I have been given? And so I just want to ask you, do you see God's Word as louder than the world? When you read this, do you see, man, to love money above all, to love stuff above all, that is terrifying. God, give me the grace to not walk that path. John D. Rockefeller, one of the richest men 
of his generation was asked, how much money is enough? So, so when is that point when you feel content, you feel satisfied? I mean, this guy was a, a stud of a businessman. He, he had all kinds of monopolies. He just amassed power, amassed wealth. He uh, was from Cleveland, and there are so many things in Cleveland named after him. Sir, how much money is enough? Is it a million? Is it 50 million? Is it a billion? How much is it to where it's in the bank account and you can finally take that deep breath? You know what he said? Just one more dollar. Just one more. The point is that he recognized it was never enough because he wasn't created to find his contentment in money. Andrew Carnegie, kind of the the Pittsburgh version of Rockefeller, said, I would as soon leave my son a curse as the almighty dollar. I would as soon leave my son a curse as the almighty dollar. Don't think uh, Carnegie was a Christian. Don't think. But he's speaking truth here. that, That he did it all, he gained it all, He's what some of you desire to be, filthy, rich. And he said, you know what, I'd rather give my son a curse. That seems easier to me. I don't know if he knew knew about 1 Timothy 6, but what we would say is it's a snare, isn't it, Andrew? Because it's never enough, guys. Do you you see the cycle even in your own life? Think about something you were given that you loved. Okay, my life is now perfect because I have this PlayStation or this Xbox or this piece of clothing or whatever it is, just I've got this thing and it's great. And then time goes on and it doesn't feel as great as it used to. Matt Chandler says, everything in your life is at some point on the trajectory of being in a landfill. Might be further back, maybe there's a while to go still. Might be right there on the precipice of being thrown away. Every possession in your life is headed to the landfill. Let's not live for the landfill, teens. What a wasted life that would be to live for the landfill. doesn't feel like that, right? In the moment, it's the hope of what could be. But the reality is, if we're living for it more than God, it's a snare. Second point, true contentment in Christ. Second point, true contentment in Christ. Money will not satisfy. Possessions will not satisfy. Christ will satisfy. Verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Two other passages, Psalm 107.9. Psalm 107.9. If you struggle with contentment, please write these verses down. Go back to them. It says, For He satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul He fills with good things. God satisfies the longing soul. Jeremiah 31.25 For I will satisfy the weary soul and every languishing soul I will replenish. I need to hear those words because in every season of our life there are going to be things that we desire. And that doesn't mean they're bad. Before I had kids, I really wanted to have kids. Me and Mrs. Ross, in this room, there were certain Sundays we felt like the only couple in the church that didn't have kids. 
It wasn't wrong for me to want to have kids. But I can't want that more than God. I can't find my satisfaction in that more than God. And just talking to, to one of the guys before we got started here tonight. There will always be things in your life that you are praying about and desiring and, and hoping God is in. And that's not wrong. That's, that's God keeping us desperate. But you can never think, if I just get that thing, everything's going to be alright. Even if it's a good thing. It's got to be God in every single season of your life. Because Psalm 107.9 says, For He satisfies the longing soul. So I'm so thankful that we have our four children. I love them. I love them so much. But they're not God. They can't satisfy the longing soul. God can. They can't satisfy the weary soul. God can. True contentment comes in being in Christ. And can I just... I don't know how you're, you're hearing that if you struggle. I wonder, so I'm not presuming on anybody, I wonder if you're a teen here, and I'm saying contentment comes in Christ, would there be any pushback of, Mr. Ross, I've been here for a long time. I'm not content, and I know about this Christ. Could I suggest to you there's a difference between knowing about Christ and being in a relationship with Christ? I knew the name Jesus. When I was in high school, I knew, I'm pretty sure I knew the gospel. But I wasn't in a relationship with him. I wasn't walking with him. I wasn't abiding with him by faith, his gift of grace. So there's a difference between knowing about him and walking with him and being loved by him and being cared for by him. There's a difference between knowing that he is Lord and Savior and him being my Lord and Savior. So I would, just, I would just put that before you. If you are discontent, and we go up and down, please don't hear me like a Christian isn't, I'm just always content every moment of every day. No, but there is, as I go back to him again and again, I remember who he is and what he's done and what he is for me and the fact that he's greater than anything this world could offer. I'm filled afresh with that joy. I'm filled afresh with his satisfaction as he, he pours into the weary soul. But I would ask you, have you repented and trusted in Christ? Have you genuinely become a Christian, or would you say you just know some facts about Him? We've brought nothing into this world, and we will bring nothing out. Today, we had a funeral for, for Kelly's grandfather, and I was just sitting there thinking about this passage. He, he was a Christian, it seems. Um, he took nothing with him. Nothing in this life that he owned that is now with him. Only what he did for Christ. Only his relationship with Christ is the only thing that matters. The only thing that is left. And if you have Christ, you have everything, teens. If you have Christ, you're forgiven of all of your sin. If you are in Christ, you are covered by His righteousness, by His perfect life. If you are in Christ, you are going to be in the new heavens and new earth forever. Yes, this life is hard. That one will not be. This life comes with challenges and suffering and trials. And yet He's using it all of it for good. If you have Christ, you really do have everything. 
It really would be to, to be a Christian and then to try to find your contentment in something this world offers. It, the illustration that came to my mind was it would like be like having a Thanksgiving meal spread out before you. So whatever your favorite parts of Thanksgiving you got the turkey, the mashed potatoes, the gravy, the rolls, the green beans, the, the stuffing. You just have you have everything in there. Just think about a table just spread out, which is all of your favorite Thanksgiving food, and you walking out the door and diving into a dumpster trying to find scraps. Why would you do that? You got the meal. You got Christ. Christ and the riches of Christ are greater than any of the scraps of this world. Why? Jump into the dumpster and you have that spread before you. So as we close, I want to ask, do you think often about the riches of Christ? I know the majority of us in this room are Christians. Do you ponder daily what you have in Christ? Do you think about that forgiveness of sin? Do you think about that righteousness? Do you think about His love towards you? Do you think about the fact that He is sovereign, which means His plans for your life will be perfect? So whatever those other things are that you desire, you can put them before Him and say, God, I trust You. It's why being in the Word every day is so important, gang. It's not a, well, you should be in the Word. Here is yet another benefit of being in the Word. You are reminded of who God is and what He has done for you. <clears throat> I, just, I just had one of those days there. It was on Thursday. just felt like it was a wearying day. A lot coming at me. A lot to be concerned about. A lot to be praying about. I was not in a good place on Thursday. And, and that's like the day I teach the high school and junior high classes. And so I needed to kind of ramp myself up to, to teach about the Punic Wars. I mean, there were some things I remember teaching from high school. I did not remember teaching about the Punic Wars. So I'm like trying to learn about Hannibal and these dates and these times. It, it was just a long day. And I hear about Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches of Christ. And I felt like my soul just came alive. That I've got Christ. The depth of the riches of Christ. That God's got me. God's got all this stuff. Everything I see, He sees it so much more clearly than I do. He's not fearful over anyone's life. And and so there was just this moment of, man, what would I have done if I wouldn't have been in Romans 11 today? Where would I have gone? I mean, I wouldn't have... You know, God got me. I was in His hands. I don't, I don't mean that just from an eternal salvation standpoint. Just, I think all day long, I just would have sat there. I would have traveled through the rest of my day solving. And I wonder, are there days where you walk through your day sad and scared and sorrowful and anxious? And if you would just draw near to your Savior and allow Him to remind you of who He is and what He's done, the person that has Christ and knows it and loves it isn't going to be constantly running into the world because they'll say what it offers is not as good as what I have. And if you had a you know a MacBook Pro and I came running into your house with a Commodore 64, you're going to say, that's real nice of you, Mr. Ross. Thanks, but no thanks. Right? I got a MacBook Pro, Commodore 64, a little bit bigger, a little bit slower. Uh, you wouldn't like it. 
I got I got MacBook Pro. That illustration is is poor compared to the world in Christ. Christ is better. Christ is more glorious. Christ is our true contentment. As verse 11 says, but as for you in regards to, to these things, O man of God, flee them. And we flee the world. Not, not run out of the world. We, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We, we flee the desire to love money. We, we flee living a life for that kingdom. Because we're part of an unshaken one that is being built and is glorious. We are in Christ, and so we have all the reason to be satisfied and to be content. Let's pray. Lord, I admit the temptation to find my contentment, to find my satisfaction in things other than you. And I pray for your help, Lord. I pray for your grace. I pray that you would come after us again and again and again and remind us of, of who we are and whose we are. Lord, I pray that we would remember that we are in Christ. That we have, we have been forgiven of not some, but all of our sins. That, that we are your children. That we have an inheritance that is being guarded and we are being guarded. And that an eternity awaits with you that's going to be glorious. Greater than anything we could imagine, Lord. Help us not to buy in to the landfill. Help us not to buy into false hopes. To, to find false refuges of contentment, Lord. Please help us. Please help these teens, Lord. Now, in this season of their life, which is so important for the rest of their life, to not love money, to not crave stuff, but to love You and crave You and want more of You. Lord, as we talk now as parents and teens together, I pray You would just allow us to have a very honest time of conversation, an encouraging time together, and that we would grow in just fixing our eyes on You and to believe You are better. And that you are worthy. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.